Welcome to King Me Ministries Audio Devotional. Mark Driscoll claims, God is the only author that's willing to sit with you and explain his writing. I've come to understand that to be true in my own life. It's my goal to share with you God's word and what I believe he is trying to teach me. People are looking for a word from someone who has been with Jesus and who has faced the demons and struggles that afflict us all and who can then offer a word of hope and liberation out of those places. I pray that's what you hear, an imperfect man who has sat with Jesus with an open mind and an open Bible, and who has heard God speak in such a way that I am compelled to share it with you. Brenning Manning says it best. He says, I'm just a beggar telling other beggars where to find bread. If you find any of this material helpful or challenging and you want others to hear it, go ahead and share it. If you have any questions about a topic, go ahead and email me. I'll answer every question. Who knows, maybe we'll use your question on a future episode. Welcome to episode one. Gosh, I've been wanting to do this for some time now. Uh, many reasons I haven't. Uh, a couple weeks ago on my way to jiu-jitsu, um, I think it was God who just kind of put this passage on my heart and said, enough with the excuses. Uh, some of the excuses I had were pretty obvious. Dude, you got a face for radio. Uh, gosh, you don't even love you, the sound of your own voice. Uh, some people might not know your story, but you do. And that should disqualify you from ever opening your mouth, let alone offering to speak about God. As we start, let me make one thing super clear. I, I don't speak for God. Who am I to speak for God? This thing that we're starting is not me speaking for God, but rather me speaking out of an appetite for God. No doubt I have an appetite for God. I want to know him, his character, who he loves and how he loves and how that love manifests itself in our lives today. I want to discover what he's up to and I want to follow hard after that. I have to admit the greatest excuse I have, the excuse that's left me on the shelf is I just don't feel I have anything to offer God. I've been leaning on that excuse and I just keep saying over and over again, when I have more to offer God, that's when I'll get off the shelf or get off my butt and start doing something. And I think God is going to use this scripture to really show you how empty that excuse is. I'll be honest with you. It's pretty humbling when God uh, hears your excuse like the one that I'm sharing. I don't, I don't have much to bring you. And then you hear him humble you by saying, well, you're not wrong, uh, but that's not the point. It's not what you have. It's what I can do with what you have and what you bring to me and put in my hands. So as I'm driving to class and I'm going over this list of reasons why I'm not qualified to start something, um, I hear the Holy Spirit speak to my heart and it just said, he just says to me, he says, stop wishing for a better lunch. And as only the Holy Spirit can do, I knew exactly through his ministry to me, what scripture he was talking about. If you have your Bibles, or if you can look it up later, follow along. But if you look in John chapter 6, starting in verse 1, it's, a, it's an incredibly familiar story. Uh, but here we read, After this, Jesus went away to the other side of the Sea of Galilee. And a large crowd was following him because they saw the signs that he was doing on the sick. Jesus went up on the mountain, and there he sat down with his disciples. Now the Passover, the feast of the Jews, was at hand. Lifting up his eyes then, and seeing that a large crowd was coming towards him, Jesus said to Philip, Where are you to buy bread, so that these people may eat? 
He said this to test him, for he himself knew what he would do. Philip answered him, 200 denarii worth of bread would not be enough for each of them to get a little. And one of the disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, There is a boy here who has five barley loaves and two fish, but what are they for so many? I learned this story in Sunday school. It's familiar. We all know that Jesus fed the 5,000. Even if you're not familiar with the church or God's word, the story of Jesus feeding the 5,000 is very familiar. It's a Sunday school lesson. But today, on this particular day, it wasn't a Sunday school lesson. It felt deeper. It felt more personal. It felt more like a life lesson. That scripture hit me pretty hard. You got this monumental task that Jesus has of feeding these 5,000 people, not much to work with. And this little boy is discovered who has this lunch fit for just one person. And he brings it and he offers it to Jesus. Um, How silly that must have seem to anybody watching what is Jesus going to do with that little boy's lunch it's barely going to be enough to feed the boy how is he going to use that to feed all these people nevertheless the scripture tells us that Jesus took that boy's lunch had the people sit down he took it he looked up to heaven and thanked God and then he fed every one of them 5,000 men were fed that day and here's one of the more amazing things about that After they finished eating, when everybody had had enough, Jesus said, now go collect all the extra. And there were 12 baskets left over. See, that's what God can do. God can take little. He can use that little to do something extraordinary with leftovers. Imagine if the little boy looked at his lunch, looked at the task that Jesus had and said, there's no way he can use what I have. Maybe if my mom would have packed double, if she would have packed me lunch, and dinner maybe then that would have been enough for God to use to to meet this need how silly that is to think that that small tiny lunch if it were doubled or if you could add a little bit more to it would have been enough for God to do what he needed to do it was never about the lunch it was about the boy taking the little that he had and putting it in the hands of Jesus and allowing Jesus to do what only Jesus can do with that. That was it. That was the lesson for me that day. God was saying to me in no uncertain terms, Dennis, stop wishing you had more to give me, period. What you have to give me is is insignificant. It's not you. It's not what you can bring to the table. It's your faith and your trust in me that you would give me everything that you have and that you would stand back and watch what only I can do. Paul Washer once said, he says, I cannot wait until I get to heaven because I know in heaven that I'll be able to stand up and I'll be able to preach a sermon that God is worthy of. And he stops and he says, you know, he he came to the realization that even in a glorified body, he's never, ever going to be able to preach a sermon that is worthy of God. God is so much bigger, so much better, so far removed from who we are that we're never going to have what it takes. And you know what? God doesn't ask that of us. He's not asking us for perfection. He's not asking us for uh, this collection of, of resources to bring to him and that'll allow him to do what he wants to do. He's looking. In fact, the Bible says that the eyes of God are looking back and forth in the world, looking for one man 
who sold out for him. In this situation, it's, it's one man who can bring a small lunch to him and allow him to do the impossible. That was my lesson. It was so clear that God was saying to me, Dennis, you've got to stop thinking that I'm looking for you to have better resources, to be a better person. I'll take care of all of that, but what I need is for you to bring everything you have, leave it in my hands, step back and watch what only I can do. One of the downsides, if there are any, of knowing God's word, and and more importantly, the characters of God's word, guys like Abraham, Joseph, Moses, David, and the list goes on and on and on, is that you have, or we have, over time, we've sort of, um, we've put these guys on a pedestal, and what we look at is we look at the great accomplishments, and we look at the highlights of what they've been able to do, and we forget so easily that they were men and women just like you and I. They didn't have much. Where God found them was very similar to where we are, and yet, if you look at their life and you look at what distinguished them, it's not that they had more resources, more talent, more abilities than you and I. What they did is they took what they had and they were so convinced that God was who he said he is, they were, that they were willing to place their entire being, all of the little resources, the little talents, anything that they had, they would place all of that in the hands of God. And only when they did that did God decide to do miraculous things through them. The lesson continues for me. You see, I want to do great things for God. I want to do things so lofty and so amazing and so beautiful that people look and say, wow, look look what he was able to do for God. And that's where I go wrong. That's the sin of it all. I'm not the main character here. I'm not the hero of this story. There's only one hero, and his, his name is Jesus. And like so often... God uses his word to both comfort me and correct me. He's comforting me in the sense of saying, Dennis, if you bring me what you have and you're willing to trust me with it and you sit back and you watch what I do, you're going to see me do great things and people are going to look to me. People are going to grow in their trust of me. They're going to love me. They're going to let me be the savior that I need to be in them. But also there's this correction that he has to give me. Like, Dennis, you aren't the main character here. And you trying to bring a, bring a better lunch is, 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 is wrong because you're, you're wanting to be uh, the answer to this need, this, this request. And, and you got to remember that only Jesus, only God can be what people need. And that's the message. God isn't calling me to feed 5,000. What he is calling me to do is to bring my everything to him bring it, offer it to him, then step back and let him do what only he can do. You see, God doesn't call the equipped. He equips those that he calls. If it were up to you to build a team, you might go ahead and you may look for the smartest, the most equipped, the brightest, the most intellectual people that you can find. But God is different. God does this according to Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. And why does he do that? Verse 29 says, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. It was D.L. Moody that said, the world is yet to see what God can do with a man fully sold out to him. He went on to say, I want to be that man. 
And I believe that that's what God is trying to say through this passage. He's trying to say and he's trying to illustrate that I don't need you to be the one to do the miracle. I don't need you to be the one that feeds the 5,000. What I'm looking for is one person who's willing to take all that they have and place it in my hands. It's not the size of the lunch. It's the size of the God who can work any miracle that he sees fit to do. I think it's important to add that God does not need us to be a part of the miracles that he does. Uh, We were not around when God laid the foundations of the earth. He did that by his own word. But what I find remarkable is that God invites each of us to be a part of what he's doing. What a beautiful God, a God who doesn't need anything, but so desires for us to be a part of it that he's looking He's literally looking for man or woman or child who's willing to place in his hands what they have and then with trust to watch what he can do. Every ordinary offering placed in the hands of God becomes extraordinary. I don't know about you, but I'm tired of average and ordinary. I want to see the power of God. And so this passage is encouraging me to no longer worry about the size of the lunch or my ordinariness, my averageness, but to start putting all that I have in the hands of God and then watching him do extraordinary and things beyond my wildest imagination. My prayer for you and I is this. Father God, your word is filled with example upon example of you taking what's given to you by ordinary and average men and women and taking that gift and using that to do remarkable and incredible things that that expand your kingdom, that make your name great, that bring you glory. So Father, that's our prayer, that we would no longer be intimidated by the, the smallness of what we can bring and offer to you, but that our eyes would look away from from the inadequacies of of us and that we can look at the extraordinary beauty and the bigness of who you are. Father God, we offer what we are to you. We trust that only you can do what needs to be done. And so we offer ourselves to your plan and your power. And God, may you get glory for yourself with what we have and what you do with what we offer to you. Father, we love you, we adore you, and our eyes are on you. And we pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Hey guys, thanks for joining me on the first of what I hope to be many times looking at God's word and trying to hear what he's saying to us in our everyday lives. And my encouragement to you in this moment, and until we meet again next time, take what you have, Place it in his hands, trust him, and see what only he can do. God bless you guys.